with you here today. Ezra chapter 1, if you're able to stand, would you stand together with us? Ezra chapter 1, verse number 2. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kings of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people. His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Chapter 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Chapter 1, verse 4, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, I'm sorry. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple of the Lord God of Israel, read those next three words aloud, then they came. When they heard that God was working, then the adversary came. So when the adversary comes, or advantage over the adversary is what we'll talk about tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your help. We can do nothing apart from you. Thank you for this pastor and these people, this opportunity to gather in this, this place tonight. Thank you for how our hearts have been stirred by the singing. It's good to see all those young people up here. God, may they continue on living for you and loving you and serving you right here in this place that you've given them. Lord, the devil's going to come and try to lure them away. Make them think that this place is old-fashioned and outdated and cannot meet their needs. God, may they stay in here. May they stay in for a lifetime. God, you help us tonight by the Word of God. And we'll be helped. You come, you speak to us. We submit ourselves to you again afresh, anew. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing apart from you. We'll thank you for that you do in our heart, in our midst. We'll be grateful for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Ezra is a book of great spiritual progress. In Ezra, we go from a temple in decay to a temple in repair. We see the people from captivity, they're in captivity in Babylonia, and then all of a sudden they're citizens in Jerusalem. We began the book of Ezra with boulders in piles of rubbish, and then these men are taking those stones and they are building the house of the Lord. The the, the, the vessels that uh, have been used in the worship of God, they were in the Babylonian palace and in the book of Ezra, they are returned back to being treasures in Israel's temple. You'll see in the end of Ezra, you'll see that there are sinful marriages and we go from that to separation unto God. What we see in, in Ezra is a lot of activity and activity does not equal progress and actions do not equal spirituality and walking forward doesn't equal walking with God. But Ezra does, however, document some great progress 
in the work of God. There's a great journey that is made in the book of Ezra. It's some 1,700 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. There's a mighty multitude, a great multitude that makes this journey, 49,899 if my math is correct, those who make the trip from Babylonia back to Jerusalem. And when we get to chapter 1, we read about the adversity and they are moving and they are shaking and they are going forward for God. But when they begin to do so, there is great adversity that comes against them. You can rest assured that when God begins to work in your heart and life on whatever level that is, from, from the simple thing of God speaking to you and you yielding that to Him to coming in an invitation and committing something to the Lord or saying, God, this you spoke to me about this discipline in my life and Lord, with your help, I'm going to commit that to you. When you begin to make any kind of progress spiritually, you begin to go forward in your life or even make any determination that things are going to change between me and the Lord, there is going to be great adversity that comes in your life. That will be the lesson that we'll study tonight in the book of Ezra. Progress in the work of a church will be marked by adversity. Progress in an individual Christian's growth will advance through adversity. Progress in your walk with God will be accompanied by adversity. Sometimes we will face adversity from without, but often we will face adversity from within. James tells us about that, that we, we war in our members, in our mind and in our heart in our own lack of character, in, our, in this fallen nature, this body of flesh that we live in. There's going to be great adversity to the work of God. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, For a great and effectual door is open unto me. Thank God for open doors. Thank God for every opportunity that He has placed in your life, in the ministries here at Victory Baptist. That, that, that God is using you to get the Word of God around the world. It is an, a, it is a, an amazing and a staggering thought. I shared this one Brother Fleur was at the church here just a few weeks ago. I thought of this one day. They say that uh, there have been, sent, of course, the, the Word of God is the, the number one most printed book in the history of the printing press. You know, that, that's, that's what they say. So they estimate that there have been 5 billion copies of the Word of God printed through all the years. That's a lot, 5 billion. But when we look at the world's population today, when we look at the population of the world, 5 billion only barely covers half of the world population. If we had every copy of the Word of God that had ever been printed and could distribute around the world today, there'd still be almost half of the people in the world alive today who didn't have a copy of the Word of God. So there's still a great work to be done with that. So keep pressing forward with it, church. There's going to be adversity to any progress that takes place in your life. Before Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan embraced a prison. Before Joseph's dreams ever came true and his brethren came, bowed themselves in that place of need, they had cast him into a pit. The cross bears those who bear the cross. 
Charles Spurgeon had a picture in his bedroom. It was a plaque, and it had a verse on it. The verse was Isaiah chapter 48 and verse number 10. This is what that verse says. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. That's what Charles Spurgeon read and looked at in his bedroom. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. But we are chosen not in the palace, but we are chosen in the furnace. In the furnace of adversity. In the furnace of difficulty. In the furnace of trouble and trial. When things are good, we mostly do not pray. But when things turn sideways, when need presses upon us, when the enemy is staring us in the face, we come to a place of great need and that great need presses us into a place of great faith and that great faith presses us into that place of great prayer. Adversity. Adversity. Let's think about how to recognize an adversary. I'm going to just read you some verses and give you some marks of an adversary. David said this, Psalm 38, 20, They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries. An adversary renders evil for good. You're kind to someone, they mistreat you. That's an adversary. Adversaries render evil for good. David also says this in Psalm 74, verse 10, O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? The adversary brings a reproach upon us. For good, they bring evil. For a smile, they bring a snarl. We love them, and they reply with hatred. We give them kindness, and they respond with bitterness. We seek good, and they bring evil. The enemy wants to make you look bad. The enemy wants to make you seem evil, and they are the ones who are evil. The adversary, adversary will bring a reproach upon you. An adversary renders evil for good. Adversaries come, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, with bonds and with chains. He uh, spoke these words, and Luke recorded them in chapter 12, verse number 28. If then, uh, uh, oh, that's the wrong verse. Oh, God, help us. The Lord is talking about if you are in a way and the adversary comes, agree with them quickly. You remember that passage of Scripture when the adversary comes and that adversary is going to come and the adversary is going to bind you. The adversary is going to try to catch you. You know what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ over and over? They tried to catch Him at His words. He is the Word of God. The Word made flesh. And so He is, he is God, the Word in the flesh. And they came and tried to catch Him at His words, to ensnare Him, to trap Him, to trick Him. He gave us a good method for when, when the adversary comes and tries to catch us and ask us a question and tries to trip us up. The Lord gave us a good method of, of answering that and how He answered that was with a question. He would answer their questions with a question in such a way that they could not answer back. You, they could not ensnare the word, but they tried. The adversary, they come, they come with bonds and they come with chains. The adversary, the adversary comes and the adversary brings suffering upon us. This is what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter number one, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. 
It is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The adversary comes and brings suffering to our life, but that should not terrify us. If something happens in your life and it seems like the enemy is attacking you, you ought to be grateful to God that the enemy has chosen you because God is working in your life. I know that's a, a different way of thinking of it. Well, preacher, what else are you going to do? Feel sorry for yourself and crawl in a hole and do nothing? This is how Paul looked at that. Paul looked at it in Corinthians and he said this. He said, Lord, take this from me, this thorn in the flesh. Lord, take this from me. Lord, take this from me. No, Paul, I'm not going to take it for you. I'll give you my grace. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That difficulty that had come upon him. And the, he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, the grace of God comes to us in our time of difficulty, in our hour of weakness, in our hour of adversity. When we depend upon the Lord and we rely upon Him, He gives us His grace and His grace sustains us and His grace protects us and His grace carries us through that difficult hour. The grace of God. Adversity, the adversary comes and brings suffering, but it should not terrify us. And of course, we know that Peter warned us. Peter gave all of us a warning, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil's a roaring, roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to destroy you. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life, the Lord said, that you might have it more abundantly. So let's talk about the adversary here in the book of Ezra. The adversary. I want you to notice in chapter 3, if you would, chapter 3 and verse number uh, three, chapter three, Ezra, chapter number three, and verse number three. When the when the men set up that altar of burnt offering, verse three, and they set the altar upon his bases. Notice this: for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. They offered burnt offerings there on unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. This is the advance of the adversary upon the people of God. There was fear that came upon the people of God because of the adversary. It was the, the people of the countries here in chapter 3, verse 3. It's the people of the land in chapter 4 in verse number 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people. Listen, if the folks around Victory Baptist Church right here in Milton, Florida, if they could do anything to stop the work of God, I promise you they would do it. They don't like your testimony. They don't like your witness. They would love to shut you up. They would love to stifle. They would love to stamp out the gospel witness that goes forth from this church through your lives. If they could do that, thank God that He is on our side. Thank God that He is going to give us the victory. We're going to see that as we go through Ezra here. But the people, the people were against them. Every promised land has an enemy that must be conquered. Every promised land. If it's worth having, you're going to fight for it. If it's worth owning, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to fight for it. Every advance has its adversary. This world is against us. We are not of this world. If we are the friend of the world, then we're the enemy of God, the Bible tells us. 
So the Lord Jesus Christ told us. He told us that if we would, if we are to follow Him, He said, "Marvel not if the world hate you. Why? Because it hated Him before it hated us. So why should we? Why should we be? Uh, why should we be alarmed when politicians would try to make laws to stifle the work of God in this country?" Why should we be alarmed of that? They're, it's not just that they're our enemy, they're the enemy of God. There is fear upon the people because of the adversary. Now, notice what the adversary does. The adversary tries to join them, chapter 4, verse 2. Then they came, the adversaries, they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said to them, Let us build with you. Let us build with you. Look, I can look around this church and I can see that separation is not an issue. But the enemy will come and begin to tear down the walls of defense by affinity. This is why God said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For man love the world, the love the Father is not in him. Why? Because it tears down those barriers in our heart. We are to come out from among them and we are to be separate, saith the Lord. Why? Lest we become... Look, when you read the life of Samson... Samson's trouble was, it came because the barriers were torn down and he made friends with the adversary. Look, we are to be the friends of this world in, in this idea. I love you because Christ loves you and I'm coming to you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if I'm trying to gain their friendship to be accepted by them, if I'm trying to gain their friendship to be approved by them or to be promoted by them, it's the wrong reason. It's the wrong purpose. It is to be for the glory of God. It is, for to be, it is to be for the advance of the kingdom of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Now notice what the adversary does here in chapter number 4, verse 4. Then the people of the land, watch this, the people of the land weaken the hands of the people of Judah. They weaken their hands. The enemy wants to create weakness in your life. They weakened their hands. Then he says, they troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Isn't this just like human nature? Watch these three things here. They weakened their hands, they troubled their building, and they frustrated their purposes. This is what your flesh will do to you. The spiritual man, the flesh will do this. The flesh tries to weaken the spiritual man. The flesh tries to gain control. The flesh tries to assert its own authority and power over the spiritual man. So this is what the world does. This is what the devil will do. He will come and try to bring weakness in our life and then he will trouble us in what God has called us and enabled us and given us the opportunity to do. They're trying to build this place. They're trying to do something for God and all of a sudden there's trouble in the middle of it. If you've ever had a building program, you understand what that is. That trouble came, comes right in the middle of it. Tried to uh, uh, the enemy tried to trouble their building and the enemy frustrated their purpose. That is as good as the devil would have it in any Christian's life is for you to be frustrated. Because if you are frustrated, your flesh is in control and the spiritual man is not in control. And when you are frustrated, you are not filled with the Spirit and you are not advancing, you are not doing anything for God. You get in a self-preservation mode. weakened them, they troubled them, they frustrated them. Look, COVID, COVID-19, here we are in 21, still dealing with 19. 
weakened, troubled, frustrated, weakened, troubled, frustrated. It was as good as the adversary would have it. The enemy did not want them to die. Watch this in chapter 4, verse 23. Now with a copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shemshai, the scribe, and their companions. They went up in haste to Jerusalem with the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Notice this statement right here. Then ceased the work of God. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased. The enemy did not want them to die. He just wanted them to quit. He just wanted them to cease, to stop. Satan doesn't have to take your life to conquer you. He can just cause you to quit. Just stop. Stop reading your Bible. I'm sure you hear this from your pastor. As a pastor, I, it's the same things over and over. Read your Bible. Pray. Stay in church. Love your family. Keep God first in your heart. Read your Bible. Pray. Stay in church. Keep your family in church. Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your children. Love your parents. It's the same things over and over. And the, if the devil can just cause one of those to cease... Hours at work change. So you miss that Bible time that you used to have in the morning or at night. Your prayer life goes out the window. You're scheduled, just a slight schedule change. And all of a sudden, your walk with God isn't what it was. And something has ceased in your life. As far as I can read here, no one's life is taken. As far as I understand here, there's not a great battle where there's a huge multitude that are slain. The adversary just comes and weakens them, troubles them, and frustrates them, and all of a sudden, it's ceased. It happens so easily. Wednesday night, and then I realize I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd here. Wednesday night, and then Sunday night, and then Sunday morning. And you look around and you think, where are they at? Where are they? It wasn't anything major. It wasn't anything huge. It's just that somehow the, somehow the adversary came and there was a weakness. He found a weak spot. And he began to attack that weak spot. Relationship in the home, parents and children, work. Somebody didn't, somebody didn't exactly treat you the way you thought they ought to have treated you. Just, 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 just. It's never anything major. 
It's mostly not anything major. Let me see. Weakness and trouble and frustration. And then it ceased. Breaks your heart as a pastor to see it cease. People that used to. Can I, can I just, I, I don't know you as pastor. I, I don't even know most of your names. Where's Red Ty Tony at? Where's he at? He's not even here tonight. He's somewhere. Look, that's the only name that I knew. There was a visitor this morning. His name was Rudy. I got Rudy. An Eads. There's an Eads somewhere. He's in the back, back there. I would know your name. But I know this about ministry. I know that it's the smallest of things that the devil will use in your life to get you sideways. You come into church, and that's all you can think about. You can't enjoy the singing. You can't enjoy the preaching. It's just that, that one little thing that will occupy your mind and it troubles you and it frustrates you and it won't be long until it's caused you to cease you've stopped stop stop the work look at chapter 5 So the last thing that we read in chapter 4 is, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased in the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I like to turn the page, because chapter 5 says this, Then the prophets. <laughs> then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So we've seen the advance of the adversary. Here I call this the advice of the assistance. Here come these two, please forgive me, I don't mean to be disrespectful to them, but here come these two old men of God. They pull up on the scene and there's nobody working. There's nothing going on. Why isn't anybody on the job today? What happened? Did, the, did, the, did OSHA come and shut the job down? What happened? Why, why has it ceased? And so they came, then the prophets, they came and they prophesied unto these people. They, they prophesied in the name of God. You know what preaching does to you? This is why the devil wants to just keep you away from just one service. What preaching will do for you is preaching brings courage. These folks, they, ha they had been overcome by fear of these adversaries, by the fear of these people that were in the land. And when the preaching began, it brought courage to them. And it inspired their despondency. And it promoted action in their life. And it had 
advances the work of God because when the prophets began to preach in verse number one, then verse number two rose up Zerubbabel and Jeshua and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God. There's the assistants helping them. The prophets prophesied in the name of God. The people rose up and they began to build. The prophets helped them in the cause. I want to be one that furthers the work of God. When men have ceased, when men have faced opposition, when families are discouraged, when Christians have ceased to do the work of God, I want to be one who inspires others. I certainly wouldn't want to be one who opposed the work of God. I want to be one in my church. You say, well, you're the pastor. You ought to be that way. Not always been pastor. Does your life oppose the work of God? Or does it advance the work of God? Does my life in a service, does it oppose the Spirit of God? Or does it advance the Spirit of God? My level of commitment, my level of dedication, my level of separation, does it oppose what God is doing? Or does it advance what God is doing? Then the prophets. Then the prophets. I thank God for preaching. Your preacher came to our church just a few weeks ago and he preached on the ox must die. Oh, what a message. Amen. Probably preached that here first. Yeah. If you hadn't preached that here, you ought to preach that here, preacher. Oh, what a message. That helped us. It helped our church. It's not it's not in the preacher. I love your preacher, but it's not in him. It's in the call and the Spirit of God. And he stood up with the Word of God, and he just brought courage. Hey, there's some things you ought to change. There's some things you ought to do. There's some things that ought to be corrected in your life. Look at chapter 5, verse 5. I want you to notice this. The Bible says this in chapter 5, verse 5, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease because after they began to build again in verse number 2 they rose up again in verses 3 and 4 the enemy doesn't quit the enemy keeps coming back wave after wave after wave but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jew I call this the advantage of the almighty the eye of God was upon them. It was God's way for them to continue. When the adversary 
had his way, the work ceased in chapter 4, verse 24. But when God had his way, then the adversary could not cause them to cease. The work would not cease because the eye of God was upon them. Let's look further. Chapter 7. Verse 6, here comes Ezra. Ezra comes in. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a ready scribe of the law of Moses, which the Lord of God had given. And the king granted him all his requests. Notice this, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. The hand of God was upon him. Verse 9, that, that last phrase there, again, talking about what he does. He goes up from Babylon on the fifth day. He came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Again, in verse number 28, this is what Ezra says. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, verse 27, verse 28, and has extended mercy uh, upon unto me before the king and his counselors before all the king's mighty princes, and I was strengthened as the hand of my Lord was, uh, the Lord my God was upon me, and I that gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Listen, when the enemy comes, when the enemy comes, there is no substitute for the hand of God. When the adversary comes and causes the work to cease, there is no substitute for the hand of God. There is no substitute in rearing children than the hand of God. There's no substitute for building a church than the hand of God. There's no substitute for you walking with God than to have his hand upon you. You have a work that you do, whatever that is, a work in the ministry, a work in the home. You must have the hand of God. Oh, how we need the hand of God. We are nothing. When the hand of God is gone, the adversary has his way. But when the hand of God shows up, hand of God, the eye of God. Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 18. So Ezra sends for some other groups of people and they come to him. Chapter 8, verse 18. They brought ministers for the house of God. Verse 18. And by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. Folks, I, there's, a, there's a church tonight in Campbell, Missouri that needs the good hand of God to bring them a man of understanding. I don't understand why God has done this in my life at this time. And I know that we have a people that are there, and you're not there, and they're not here. But you can help us pray for the man that God has. So my life, my wife and I, family, we've invested the years of our youth from 29 to almost 48 years old We've given our life to that place, to those people. That the good hand of God would be upon them. That as we go into this new work, that the good hand of God would be upon us. I was speaking with your pastor today about property and buildings, and this place is packed out looking at what, what God would have you to do, looking at how God would, would let you progress and go forward for Him. Oh, to have the good hand of God. We can force things in the human realm. 
I'm a kind of a go get her done, just do it kind of guy. If something needs to be done, just go do it. Just find a way to do it. Just make it happen. There are times you can't do that. You just have to wait on the Lord. And to have the hand of God upon you, there's no substitute for that. No substitute for that. I don't know what you're facing tonight. I don't know what adversity is in your life. I don't know what the adversary has come against. I don't know what difficult place you have come up against. What might have ceased. Or what might have been weakened. Or what might be troubled in your life. What might be frustrated in your heart. But to be under the good hand of God with the eye of God on you, knowing exactly where you are, and the good hand of God upon you, and God protecting you, and God helping you, and God strengthening you. Verse 22 of chapter 8, For I was ashamed to require the king, a band of soldiers and horsemen, to help against the enemy in the way because we had spoken unto the king, saying, the hand of our God, notice, so we've been talking about Ezra. We've been talking about all these people back here thousands of years ago, but this verse brings it right into this room tonight. Okay, watch this. Chapter 8, verse 22. Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, watch this, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. See, in your adversity, in your frustration, in our weakness, when it has ceased, we must turn back to Him and seek Him. Recognize the adversary. Look for the assistance. God will bring someone in your life to bring courage, strength to you. We have a church full of people right here to lean on. Look for the assistance. And rest in the Almighty. For He sees and He knows. And His hand can be upon you. The adversary will come. might be here in your life tonight. You run to God. You seek Him. The work can continue and the work can be finished with the good help of God. When the enemy comes, when the adversary comes, recognize Him. Look for the assistance. Rest in the Almighty Father.